super pumped about this event. You know, my name or who ever see me for the first time. My name is Max Bosenko, and I've been a part of uh, FinTwit community for the past uh, couple of years. Been hosting a lot of Twitter Spaces events, covering multiple companies, different industries as well. And uh, haven't really been uh, into crypto, honestly, and uh, just uh, sticking with the companies and equities and stocks. And then just one day, I've been talking to uh, my buddy. He's actually here, Stockhead. Hey, man, if you're listening to me. So he introduced me to this project. Um, and uh, I decided to dig in. And once I started learning more and more about this project, I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually way more than just crypto. It's actually a real company. Uh B2B business, and uh, I was just like, wow, I really need to learn more. And uh, then I started like uh, uh, reading and watching and listening to as much as I possibly can, and started running into this um, very knowledgeable folks for the likes of uh, Jeff or Ghost or Hungarian, and I uh, just wanted to say you guys are just doing such an amazing job, and the, the amount of research that you put into this, the amount of time is just uh, truly uh, unmatched. That's unbelievable. Just So thank you so much for everything that you guys do and educating people. And then one day I just uh, decided to initiate this uh, event on Twitter Spaces because I don't think that we ever had a Twitter Spaces event dedicated to this specific project. Uh, at least I uh, haven't seen this on my newsfeed. So the purpose of this event is just to educate people when I'm giving any financial advices and neither one of us is associated with the project Quant Network. And uh, yeah, so if we can just uh, start with a quick introduction of each speaker uh, so people get a, a quick intro and get to know us real quick and then we can uh, kick off the event. Maybe uh, Hungarian, if you can start let me go ahead and make you as a co-host. Can you hear, right. can you hear us? <clears throat> yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Perfect. Excellent. Well, welcome, everyone. I, uh, I'm very excited to be able to take this time with all of you and, and do a deep dive into something that I think we're all really passionate about. Quant gets talked about a lot, and uh, a lot of ideas get thrown around. And, and sometimes those ideas, they can be pretty big. Uh, so what we're trying to do here today is, is we want to take some of these concepts, some of these almost intangible ideas based off of years of, of cumulative research and, and groupthink and break it down into something that really makes sense for everyone here so we can collectively move forward and, and talk about the project in a way that makes sense to everybody. That seems like a, a perfect uh, transition. Yeah, hello everyone. My name is the Ghost of St. Miklos. Uh, we've, uh, we've been building around this uh, project, the community, since um, at least for me, since the, the token generation event, which is uh, in layman's terms an ICO. Um, and so, yeah, just to build on what uh, Hungarian and what Max were saying, um, this is a very special project. Um, there's many reasons why um, there are, there should be more interest about this. And I'm happy to uh, take this opportunity to join you all on this uh, kind of uh, round table.
Yeah, and I'll just echo all of that. Um, my name's Greg. Uh, I've been in the crypto space since 2017. Uh, I'm relatively new to the world of quant. I first invested in October 2020, so a little over a year. Um, and honestly, like the guys on this stage have played a huge role in me getting up to speed. Um, there's a lot of history on this project for the short amount of time that it's been around, relatively speaking. And, um, you know, a lot of the communication happens in Telegram and I just have tried to soak up as much as possible. Um, I've run some rooms similar to this of my own on Clubhouse. Um, so I'm excited to like bring this to a new audience. And honestly, you know, um, just the people on this stage are extremely, extremely knowledgeable. I'm grateful to be alongside them and I'm here to fill in the gaps the best I can. So thanks again, Max. Perfect. I want to uh, thank Max for the kind words and for setting this up. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful to share this stage with uh, Hungarian Ghost and Greg. Great uh, people to have in our community. Uh, yeah, I'm only here to moderate. No, I'm uh, like Greg <laughs> here, here to fill the voids that are there and where people might have questions in the Q&A later. So I'm ready to go. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Uh, a pleasure to uh, meet all of you guys and uh, hear you in person. That's uh, pretty awesome just to share this room with uh, all of you. And uh, I'm here to learn. I'm probably the least knowledgeable speaker here from all of you guys. So I have my notepad ready and making uh, <laughs> taking all the notes. And so, yeah, today we'll be covering Quant Network and just... Um, We'll try to cover as much as we possibly can, and depending on the time that we have left, probably do a Q&A, just like Jeff mentioned. We'll talk about what uh, what this company does, what is Quant, uh, its uh, total addressable market, uh, touch on all the products and uh, services that it offers, uh, utilities, various partnerships that it has. Of course, we'll cover... Uh, team that is behind this project which probably arguably one of the best teams in crypto if you ask me also try to touch on uh, competition partnerships and uh, any of the potential risks associated with this you know one of the things that uh, uh, a lot of listeners ask when i host this uh, events is uh, try to talk about risks as well because uh, we typically talk about uh, we gather a bunch of bulls and just talk about all the great things and that and not a lot of weaknesses or risks covered. So maybe we can uh, cover this as well, if we can find any, because I personally struggle with this. But anyway, uh, before we dive in into Quant Network, I was thinking maybe as a, um, as a quick intro, we can just talk a little bit about blockchain, its importance, uh, and uh, one of the reasons why, since blockchain been around for quite some time, it hasn't been really adopted among all the companies and enterprises and what Quant is doing to solve this issue. And, and I want to preface this too, because the, the point is not to give remedial education. Uh, the point is to give context, because when we're talking about a company like Quant and the services they provide, what they are doing is quite literally enabling adoption of blockchain technology. And, and just black and white like that. So if we're going to talk about what they're doing. I just want to make sure that we level set first and make sure that we all understand why is blockchain inevitable? Why is this not just the, the new the flavor of the month? And, and why is this something that's actually going to stick around and prove to be the next natural progression of the internet itself? 
Ghosta or Greg, do you want to kick this off here? I'll defer to Greg for now. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, um, just you know, zooming out, um, I'm not, I'm not quite sure why. You know, it just takes a long time. You know, for especially for enterprises, you hear Gilbert, um, the CEO, who we'll talk about in a bit, um, the difficulty for enterprises to kind of bring blockchain into their systems. Um, they've spent 10, 15, 20 years and millions of dollars kind of building up their infrastructure as is. And now, you know, this new invention blockchain comes around and it's like, okay, how do we utilize it? Where do we build? What do we build? Um, it's very expensive. You have to find, um, you know, developers that are specific to potentially the ecosystem that you're trying to build in. And then if your use case changes and you maybe you want to interact with a new blockchain or a new system, um, you know, you don't have that flexibility. Um, so there's a lot of kind of um, money and time roadblocks in terms of setting this up and doing your proof of concepts and uh, all these types of things. So what Quant is doing is, uh, you know, they're focused on interoperability first and foremost and trying to uh, make sure that uh, it can integrate well and easily all the system can bring all the systems together and uh, help scale and do testing quickly and be able to stay flexible um, as things progress in your business. And so, um, you know, they've done a great job with that so far. Um, I don't know how, how deep we want to go right off the bat, but, um, you know, they're with as far as like the adoption side is what gets me the most excited um, it is interesting how long it seems to be taking for people to recognize the scope and scale at which this project is operating. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'll leave it there for now. And um, that's kind of my, my broader view is, uh, you know, it, from an enterprise perspective, especially, um, Quant is a simple plug and play, whereas, um, you know, most of these other blockchains, uh, not, and Quant is not a blockchain, to be clear, but, you know, most of the blockchains that uh, and blockchain kind of infrastructure that's being promoted to enterprises is very difficult to implement. And Quant is trying to lower the barrier. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really important distinction to make. You know, if we're talking about something as important as blockchain adoption, you know, the, the adoption of this technology and talking about the technology itself, we, we have to also recognize the, the, the level at which Quant operates. Um, Quant is, is not in the same caliber of really any other crypto project. There's maybe a few that kind of dabble and have a little bit of overlay, but when you really break it down and you dive into the the level of people involved in, in this entity, the people that are about one, one step removed and just the overall amount of energy going into this project, um, it's it just not something that is, is a fleeting flavor of, of the month. This is something that's going to be around for a long time. We talk about something like... Uh, witnessing Amazon in its birth or witnessing the next Microsoft in its first early days, Steve Jobs in the garage. The, the reason we say that is because the, the technology that Quant is enabling is that fundamental. Um, we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit here, but when we talk about interrupt interoperability being fundamental to move forward, um, Quant really is one of the, the big names that's going to come out of the Web3. I mean, if we go back to the dot-com boom, you think of some of the biggest names that came out of that, um, Amazon. Microsoft, um, Apple, the, these are basically essentially applications really that are built on the web too. And what we're seeing now with Quant is, is just the next evolution of this, this 
technology company that's harnessing this new wave of technology and that's building on it and that's allowing the usage of that technology itself. Um, and I know that was kind of a roundabout way to talk about blockchain, but I just want to make sure that everyone understands that it's not just crypto. It's not just DeFi. It's not just, you know, Ponzi-nomic pump and dumps. It's legitimate technology that, that serves critical national infrastructure. We're, we're talking about establishing trust in data, establishing trust in the Internet itself. It's a complete paradigm shift. And everything that happens forward from here and everything that we talk about moving forward from this moment goes off of that foundation, that inevitability of the next step. Yeah, just yeah, wanted to, just wanted to say that uh, 100% agree with you guys. Uh, Greg, good uh, talk about a blockchain, and uh, you know, like just doing my research on uh, the crypto and on this particular project, I read a lot of articles about blockchain uh, as well, and uh, I saw a lot of issues. Uh, people talking about like low scalability or like of speed of networks or like high energy consumption or high cost, just like you mentioned. And uh, one of the problems, uh, uh, because it hasn't been really adopted among all the enterprises, is uh, its lack of interoperability. And this is exactly what a quant network is addressing. Uh, so, exactly. may, may I ask, uh, did you, did you just, just curious, did you hear about Ripple before you heard about quant? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, yeah, that's pretty common. Um, Ripple definitely is more of the palatable uh, DLT-based uh, utility coins um, that, and people usually hear about them first. Um, just to build off this theme we're talking about, because I know you want to move on to quant specifically, but um, generally, I would say the reason why you're seeing not enough adoption of DLT in the corporate world is that um, as it stands at the moment, DLTs and corporations are almost oxymoronic. Like it's hard for them to adopt. They don't see the 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 use case legally. It's a gray area, um, especially in the sense of like it, what what the how do you even use a permissionless ledger as a corporation, let alone and then and then you have the other issue. It's like if you run a permission ledger, where's the actual use case? Why is a permission ledger? worth anything more than a, just a personal server like what where, where's the gain there um and so what what quant brings to the table is, is through interoperability is the the basically the ability to take the best from all the different architectures of all the different discrete utilities not hype but actual use cases that each dlt embodies and then compose all these into one uh, application that can run essentially without without fail, um, and that's a, a really powerful proposition. And and I would say that Hungarian doesn't even go far enough when he says that um, blockchain is the embodiment of the extension of the internet. I would say that this 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 revolution is actually a revolution one of accounting, and just as we saw in the 1400s with the advent of double entry accounting and the advent of the joint stock corporation, we're going to see through this new uh, accounting tool through DLT, through blockchain, uh, a sort of triple entry accounting based revolution. And in turn, we're going to see a revolution of how humans interact with each other 
and organize themselves to um, pursue goals. Um, and this also, also, I would say, I would go even so far to say that this is a necessary step towards becoming a space-faring civilization. Um, and so these sort of innovations, they're composite and they build on one another. And it, it, this may sound like hype, but this is something that if you look throughout history and you look throughout um, these, these different advancements, there's a, these are necessary steps towards becoming what humanity ultimately uh, needs to in order to realize their full potential. Um, and I think quant, just as uh, Hungarian was saying, is one of these uh, foundational, not even just national, but international critical infrastructure uh, players that will exist beyond the hype cycles. So. I can hear it now. The, the thoughts of, of some people in the audience are just screaming out to me and they're wondering, okay, this is just a bunch of really bullish people talking about something they, they like, trying to pump their own bags, uh, but it's, it's really not. Um, for those of you in the community, you understand. And, and for those of you that haven't really interacted with Quant much, the reason we're even taking the time to do this is, is because all of us here are so passionate about this project and we're so excited about what is happening because of this that we just want to share it with everyone. So, Ghost, I mean, you're talking about basically blockchain and interoperability being kind of the key to advancing humanity as in its species itself. And I completely agree with you. But before we go too far off into that. Um, Hungarian kind of disappeared. Yeah, Hungarian, you uh, you cut off there. He got so excited that he just couldn't handle this. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I think he'll join back in a bit. But I guess Max, could you lead us into the next topic? Yeah. So once we discussed uh, what um, kind of issue it solves and uh, what exactly. Um, what industry it operates, maybe uh, well, I can hear a lot of noise, so I don't know why, but uh, anyway. So maybe we can go ahead and uh, start discussing um, Quant Network as the world's first provider of the true universal DLT interoperability. And uh, I know you guys have been covering this project pretty much since inception. And so maybe we can let Jeff speak a little bit about um, what is Quant what it does and then without like giving really too much detail right now just kind of like a basic introduction okay well what quant is to me uh, in in general is what uh, ghost and greg and hungarian already touched upon i think it's the necessity to evolve this crypto space and uh, merge it with legacy. I think that's one of the key parts that Quant is going to solve or is already solving. Uh, you can see that with the, the three largest partnerships they have. I might be uh, jumping the gun there, but uh, they, will they will be coming. I think it's uh, three of the biggest companies in the world at the moment. Uh, yeah. What more to say about Quant? Uh, Let's, uh, Jeff, maybe you could introduce them into Overledger. Overledger. 
<laughs> that's more of your area and ghost, but okay. Um, I'll, I'll take that, that then. Uh, so overledger is the key innovation of Quant. Um, this is a, an abstraction layer uh, built to overlay uh, discrete, I guess you could say, uh, DLTs, and also um, not just DLTs, but legacy uh, financial infrastructure and otherwise. Um, so in essence, like you can think of Overledger as one, uh, it's it's almost like a giant, I guess to use like a really old analogy, it's like a giant spreadsheet in the sense that it classifies when people make transactions according to which DLT uh, or which, like it could be the NASDAQ, it could be SDX, it could be any of these entities that runs, uh, that has an asset that you're, you're connected or you're interested in that's connected to the overledger. Uh, and then, and then it ensures that um, each uh, transaction is ordered in the right way, such that they is there isn't a like for example a double spend or uh, some kind of uh, misalignment of the execution of transactions. And so, by by ordering everything, filtering and ordering everything together in the, in the right way, you can build applications on this that are. Uh, come like basically fraud resistant um, rather than depending on operators such as like, and we see this a lot in the DLT world today, um, there's this notion of bridging where there's a uh, uh, DLT to DLT bridge, right? So you can transfer say assets on Ethereum to say Ripple and back. Um, but if you were to say, want to go from Ripple to uh, let's say uh, Tezos, then that would be another discrete bridge. And you can tell as I, as, I, as you extend that, the number of bridges proliferate endlessly. Whereas uh, with the approach Overledger has, it's DLT native interoperability. Um, the connector frameworks that you overlay on the DLT, they provide access to the resources that are present on that DLT without any uh, compromise of their consensus or any interference in those patterns. They provide so, like this tri trigger mechanism, so to speak. To give an analogy here, um, if, if you guys imagine every blockchain and, and every network in the world, whether it's, it's legacy or, or not, imagine it just being a different language and every project in the world, every network speaks a different language. Now you, you could traditionally go through the process of learning that language and you could teach someone that language and you could develop a, maybe an entity to, to smooth that out and those types of things will get you to your end goal or to have one thing speak with another, but it's going to take a lot of time and, and energy and probably money too. Um, what Overledger is, is like Google Translate. It's the, the universal translator that allows network A to talk directly to network B. So when we talk about interoperability, it's native. It's, it's fundamental. It does not require any additional steps or overlays or bottlenecks or, or bridges or any additional work rather than just connecting from point A to point B. And I think it's pretty um, important to point out that it's not just another blockchain, right? That it's actually the first uh, operating system that's ever been created, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, this just like goes um, 
beyond any other project that we have seen so far. Absolutely. I mean, you could think of Overledger as the kernel that runs DLT agnostic software. And, and they've actually, they used to like refer to their uh, software stack as, a, as, an, as an operating system. They've now uh, pivoted towards referring to it as like a, a DLT gateway in order to kind of reference the networked nature of DLT. Um, and I think Hungarian was, was, has a resource on that with regard to one of the employees of Quant. He actually was presenting to Hyperledger, which is a, one of the top two permissioned blockchain uh, entities. Um, Luke Riley, Dr. Luke Riley, he's uh, one of the, of our, 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 like, he's our aces in the hole, so to speak, of the Quant Network Corporation. Um, he was detailing the different types of interoperability that was covered by the World Economic Forum. And it, it just has made apparent that the World Economic Forum uh, aligns 100% with what, what Quant is building, that being that a API gateway is the premier way of achieving interoperability yes. cross-chain. My, my apologies, everyone. I'm having some technical difficulties. If I cut off again, I'm getting disconnected uh, occasionally when reconnecting my mic. But yeah, what, what Ghost is talking about is, is a really interesting point because I, I think there's a lot of questions around that. We see uh, the term interoperability growing in popularity. We see more projects talking about um, cross-chain bridges, about um, being able to connect from blockchain at point B to blockchain to blockchain B. But if we're going to break it down, what makes one interoperability approach different from another interoperability approach? So for, for Quant Network, it's it's actually a, a really unique and, and novel approach. So before we talk about that, what's basically there, there are three leading approaches to interoperability right now. You have blockchain networks, which are um, think of them like your layer ones. You have a, a blockchain that creates whether like various islands or, or different methods of achieving consensus to connect everything. Uh, essentially, it is at best a very, very large island and ecosystem um, because it's contained within that blockchain and, and is subject to the limitations of that blockchain. Um, the second approach is an Oracle network. And that's something that we're seeing more with like Chainlink. Um, the third approach is API gateways. And according to the, the articles that we're referencing, with uh, the World Economic Forum and, and Hyperledger, the API gateway is the leading approach to interoperability. And Overledger rents, uh, represents the preeminent solution. So it is the number one solution. And, and that's evident in the adoption we're seeing. That's evident in the most recent news with Oracle, the, the fact that they've integrated Overledger into their core product and are actively advocating this to thousands of, of different businesses and, and companies. I mean, it's it's just really incredible stuff, but really at its core, the distinction, yes, Max, exactly. The distinction of what Overledger is and why is Overledger different than say something like Cosmos? Why is Overledger different than something like Chainlink or another approach for interoperability? Um, who, who wants to take the, the tech end of this? Um, uh, gladly. <laughs> um, I guess you could say that with Overledger's approach, you um, choose all. You just have all options available to you. You, you can um, host as much as you want on a singular blockchain, but if, say, costs are too high for, let, let's say, like issuing an NFT on Ethereum, which can cost, like, for every single NFT that you issue for every single person, it can cost hundreds of dollars. 
um, in, in gas fees. Uh, if you wanted to seamlessly integrate this process with a different blockchain to manage and manage the ownership of these NFTs on a blockchain, say devoted only to NFTs, um, you can also then interoperate with this secondary blockchain, not just through an Oracle network where you naively trust the assertions of some Oracle uh, or even a, a, a collection of Oracles, but actually have like uh, DLT gateways, which are providing access to the resources and then can provide proofs of access to these resources. Um, it's a very advanced approach um, and you can uh, literally, it, it makes the DLT ecosystem at large your playground for how you compose what are called MDAPs, which are multi-chain decentralized applications. Um, and so, yeah, technically, uh, again, it's, <laughs> I don't know, is that, is that enough, y'all? Is that enough? Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. They, they just, a really quick, uh, just really quick, uh, you just mentioned MDAPs. Can you please explain like uh, uh, what is uh, the advantage of these particular um, applications uh, compared to re regular DAPs? And if there's any other project that allows you to build MDAPs as well? Uh, Greg? Yeah, sure, I can take that. Um, so... Because, so Ghost noted before how um, Overledger essentially is an ordering and filtering layer that lives above. Oh, no. Lives above. <laughs> oh, no, we lost him too. I can okay. take over if we need Go, to. Go, Jeff. Well, essentially, it's the, uh, a layer above all DLTs, blockchains, IoT, or legacy. Anything you want added to, you can add it to. Is Greg back? Or... No, keep going. Okay, okay. okay. Did I lag uh, out there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, we, we just uh, extended your sentence, but you were saying uh, the overlay extends over, and then go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just saying that... Um... D for the sake of this conversation, uh, when we say DLT, you can just think of uh, this is distributed ledger technology. It's essentially the same thing as a blockchain. Um, technically, not all DLTs are blockchains, but all blockchains are DLTs. So when we say things like it's connecting all DLTs, it's a blockchain uh, connector in, in the sense that, um, you know, it's a layer above the blockchains where it, if you build on a single blockchain, or a single DLT, um, you're constricted to the uh, to that exact ecosystem and the features and qual and qualities that it offers. Um, with Overledger, you can combine all the different use cases and um, and you know unique product offerings from all these different chains and what they offer, and you can build a single smart contract that interacts and settles across all these layers in real time. So when we talk about MDAPs, this stands for multi-chain decentralized applications. So right now we have DAPs, right? The decentralized apps that you can build on Ethereum or Solana or whatever, but these are multi-chain DAPs um, so that you can build these contracts and to, to whatever kind of creativity your mind can float to and incorporate and settle across different layers and different blockchains and different DLTs. And not only does this apply to 
just crypto where it's like you can build on, you know, you can build a smart contract that incorporates Bitcoin and speaks to Ethereum and speaks to Ripple and speaks to whatever. But you can also integrate it using Overledger into legacy finance. And so all of, you know, what we're witnessing is an upgrade of the Internet itself. And that includes um, all of the financial infrastructure that has been built to date. Uh, they're all upgrading to this technology because it saves costs and it saves time and it removes third parties. And so with Overledger, uh, you're able to build these multi-chain smart contracts. Uh, nowhere else can you do this because Quant actually has patented um, the concept of a single ordering layer, ordering and filtration layer across chains. Um, so it makes it's very accessible i think this is an important point uh for developers where i believe the number is there's about 200,000 blockchain developers in the world and 25 million uh traditional developers um and so with overledger they've actually released uh sdks for 12 different coding languages that are not just blockchain based it's like c and c sharp java javascript Ruby, Rust, Perl, Haskell, PHP, like all of these uh, languages that anyone can come in and start building immediately. And not only can you build a blockchain application, you can build a multi-chain application. And so because we're so early in the space, um, you, I mean, there's some use cases that are, that are obvious for enterprise, maybe not as obvious for um, individual developers and things of that nature. But as time goes on, um, same, you know, as the internet, you know, it takes a little bit to, to get our bearings and come up with these groundbreaking applications, but these will come in time. And um, I think, you know, I guess I can leave it there, uh, but I think, you know, maybe if I want to hand it off to someone else to talk a little bit about um, Quant's approach in kind of uh, from a standardization standpoint and how you read my mind. We want to talk about Gilbert before that. I'm not sure, but yeah, I just so wanted to clarify one thing, Greg, really quick. That was good. And I'm still learning this project. So that was perfect. So let me just clarify one thing. Just so historically, all of the developers could build only D apps and they were stuck with that particular blockchain where they chose to build initially. Now, you can build MDIPs, multi-chain applications, and then you can go to any blockchain and just like kind of like cherry pick and then take the best from one blockchain, uh, then move to another blockchain. So the question is, uh, if this is truly the case, why would any developer right now go with uh, DEPs if they have this amazing opportunity to build maps? First, a little all at once. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no. Good. It's a great question. And I think it's one that we all like wish would come faster. You know, it's just like, hey, guys, we're over here. Like, you can do this. I think some one of the potential, like, I can just give a, an anecdotal example. Um, you know, I hang out with some people on other platforms that um, are building in the space. And I know one of them loves building on Solana, for instance. I think there's there's a mentality in crypto of this like us against the world and a lot of like people don't want to KYC, you know your customer, they don't want to they just want to build and be like off the grid a little bit and it's this like revolution that's taking place. I think ultimately we're going to see um 
everything is going to be monitored to some degree, whether or not we like it. Um, that starts with kind of showing your ID at the door. And then once, um, you know, you come through, then you have all this type of freedom. So uh, Quant hasn't done a ton of marketing in terms of attracting uh, developers out in the ecosystem. They've been solely focused on enterprise uh, because they're building a real business. It's not like a crypto hype machine. Um, and But what we're seeing right now, you know, especially as we come into the new year here and there were some announcements in late December that, uh, you know, things are going to be opening up in the community side as well. So Max, your point is well taken. And it's like, why would you build elsewhere? Um, I think it's just um, probably one, a lack of creativity because we're so early. It's like people are, you know, NFTs, we're just like in this proof of concept phase where people are, you know, buying and swapping JPEGs for millions of dollars. It's like, this isn't a mature space. So I think in time, people will realize, um, you know, what's happening here. It's only a matter of time because the technology and the adoption from the large players, and let's not forget like the crypto space compared to, you know, traditional finance and the rest of the world's money supply is in the low single digit percentages, right? We're talking like one, 2% of all the money is in crypto. And so it's like a couple, you know, a couple trillion dollars, whatever it is. Um, this is nothing. So Quant's actually going after the 98% first and now are starting to open the door to some of the more independent developers that once more regulation comes through, which again, this is another trend that we're seeing um, and that will continue to open up, especially as it relates to DeFi and a lot of these uh, high APY and just like some of this crazy Ponzi's and stuff that's going on, it's going to settle down a bit. And Quant is in a prime position for a multitude of reasons to capitalize on that. And the first and foremost being that their product is, uh, in, you know, beautifully built um, to attract the likes of any developer that's trying to build something meaningful across multiple ecosystems. So if I'm a developer and I already build this uh, multiple dApps, is there a way for me to convert dApps to mDApps or no? And how yes. easy it would be? should be very easy according to what Gilbert has stated. Yeah, that's that's a, a product that's coming down the pipeline. Um, it's, I think it's a natural extension if we could speak on what Greg was talking about with standardization. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a new concept that Quant is bringing to the table called uh, QRC20. So, uh, and if anyone knows about Ethereum, it's they know about ERC20 tokens, which are most of the tokens beside Ethereum that are in this space that also aren't NFTs. Um, and so uh, the adoption of QRC20 tokens has a lot of implications. One of which is you can have native interoperability of uh, ERC20 tokens with not just Ethereum, but also across uh, multiple Ethereum virtual machines. And uh, this is a something that I think will become pretty standard. Uh, and to talk more about the actual economic opportunity here, um, there's a, a coin in the top 11, top 10, called Avalanche that uh, recently had this simultaneous release of their C-Chain, which was their Ethereum virtual machine uh, hosted on their infrastructure and their differing uh, uh, consensus system. 
which and also the bridge between Ethereum and Avalanche. And with those two things in place, Avalanche has seen, <laughs> unironically, an avalanche of uh, infer like uh, value into their system. They're actually one of the highest uh, ch- chains with the highest amount of what are what's called total value locked or TVL um, ever since that bridge was enacted. Um, so Quant, with their native interoperability uh, across chain, ledger agnostic interoperability. With these standards such as QRC20 tokens, um, which is a an extension of their patented multi-ledger token technology, um, and also with the coming Q, uh, sorry, MLCs, which are not multi-ledger tokens but multi-ledger contracts, which can be deployed across multiple chains at the same time and manage logistically from a very central point. So you have all the benefits of decentralization while having all the convenience of of, uh, centralized products. All these together will bring about an absolute flourishing of value, uh, both uh, unlocked from from traditional finance to flow into DeFi and also value creation from this new interoperability that never was there before. And this intersection between centralized finance and decentralized finance, some people have coined as CDFI. Um, and it, it kind of points to this interesting notion where you don't even have to choose required KYC. That for certain aspects and certain players that want to be regulatory compliant, you can uh, uh, basically provide them this gateway to, as, as Greg was implying, to kind of uh, flash your, your uh, credentials and you can even do so through a ZKP, which is a zero knowledge proof, which preserves your anonymity. Um, but you flash your credentials and you're allowed in. Um, but you don't even have to necessarily have that uh, required option. I mean, through interoperability and through the prevention of lock-in, uh, you have this notion that the best game theories will win out in the end. Um, so something like Bitcoin, which is completely permissionless and doesn't need KYC whatsoever, can uh, can compete or cooperate or comp like this weird word called co cooperation, <laughs> like against other sorts of financial systems uh, that are more uh, KYC centric, uh, so to speak. And so so yeah, we no one really knows the best practices as to how you build say this Web three application. Uh, as we go into this brave new world, but uh, with again with these primitives, the ones our quant are building again. If to repeat it, MLTs, multi-ledger tokens, MLCs, multi-ledger contracts, QRC twenty tokens, tokens that are interoperable across all EVM instances, Ethereum virtual machine instances, and on and on and on. Uh, we're going to see so much innovation emerge out of this. So before we get too far ahead, I just want to pull out a couple key points that I think are really important, especially if you're new to Quant or if you're not following the project very closely. The first thing that we established is that blockchain is inevitable. DLT is inevitable. It, it solves problems that are needing to be solved now. It solves in, in the enterprise world trillion dollar problems. And these problems have a solution. Therefore, it, it will be used. Uh, the next thing we established is that Quant is the one who's they've solved interoperability. And we could dive deeper into this if you want to learn more. And we really could spend all day just on this. But essentially, Quant right now, as it stands, 
has the best way and really the only way to easily and practically connect different blockchains and, and features from blockchains. Again, for uh, I'll risk being redundant here for the sake of just how important this is. With Overledger, whether it's QRC20 or with if, uh... Uh, I guess he disappeared again. He was about to drop a bomb too. I know it. Yeah, yeah. he he just dropped a mic and uh, <laughs> left. <laughs> a mic drop in the worst sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here you go. That was quick. Nice okay. recovery. Um, you can take the best of any blockchain. You could create an application. You can write a smart contract, and you could have it operate on Ethereum for NFTs. You could have it settle on XRP for speed and you could have the security stored in Bitcoin or you could incorporate any legacy. You could say you want to incorporate Cash App or you want to incorporate uh, something off an AWS server. Like quite literally any network and any blockchain just bits and pieces you can connect them together without any type of scalability or connection issues. And there's no way to do this. So when we talk about the next steps, building the Web3, building the internet of trust, building out the internet of value, um, especially on a, on a peer-to-peer community side, these are the foundations that have been laid. And, and this is why we've spent the last hour not talking about QNT tokenomics, not talking about how, you know, all these other great things, but trying to make sure that everyone understands the foundation of this space and why quant is so critical. The, the, the point of differentiation for what quant is enabling from just a standard crypto project. So, if, if we, and again, we can talk about later, we'll be in Telegram, on, on Twitter, if you want to ask me questions, you want to dive into anything you disagree with here, you want to have more information. But if we accept that Quant has solved interoperability, which basically means the ability to actually use blockchain any way you want, and they've done it in such a fashion to where, for context, the current landscape of enterprise DLT, let's say a big company wants to use blockchain. It'll cost them several million dollars and upwards of six months just to integrate one singular chain. And if they change their mind or if it doesn't work or they want to make any adjustments, they're locked into that because of the inherent lack of native interoperability on blockchain. With Overledger, within 10 minutes of paying their annual fee, they can have access to every blockchain in the world. It is quite literally a paradigm shift. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. I just uh, pinned one of your tweets, actually, that I thought was pretty amazing, and I'm going to read it out loud right now. Currently, without overledger, it takes an enterprise approximately nine months and millions of dollars to integrate a single-chain solution. Massive opportunity cost and vendor lock-in. With overledger, they can use any blockchain in the world with 10 minutes of paying their annual fee. They just massive can i think i think this might be a good time to reach out as to why this this technical solution right for interoperability will will see such adoption and i i kind of wanted to broach the topic of uh the iso standard that quant embodies um if for people that don't know the the iso is the international standards organization which governs everything from the type of screw some people use uh or like industries use like being standardized as as to the width the length the thread like how like how the threads are made like everything every aspect 
about business and about interacting with people in a professional manner is oriented around an ISO standard that everyone can coordinate uh, uh, according to. And uh, what many people may not know is that uh, Gilbert Verdian, the CEO of Quant, is the founder of the ISO standard for blockchain, which is ISO TC307. And his idea for how blockchains should interoperate is Overledger, which is the foundational technology of Quant. Now, let me, let me repeat this. The reference architecture for ISO TC307 is Overledger. They are one in the same. So the very conceptual framework that multinational corporations, uh, countries, inter international governmental, inter intragovernmental agencies like the UN, they're building their conceptual framework off of what is embodied in the technical uh, uh, details of Overledger. So this is a, an extremely powerful position to create standards um, beyond even just a national level, because he, he, Gilbert, he worked in government in the UK, several critical places, like he helped steward the UK through a financial crisis in 2008, and then came over to the uh, to Australia had some ideas about how to interoperate medical records, so very sensitive data, right, at scale. That's how we thought about this. Uh, what became Overledger, supplied the application to Standards Australia for, for again, uh, for this new standard around DLT, and incepted this uh, approach towards uh, a global standard of blockchain. Um, and so this, uh, all the means of interoperability are built around this very Yeah, that might be a good time to maybe like run through Gilbert's resume real quick, um, just to get an idea, because I think, um, you know, similar to Steve Jobs at Apple or Elon Musk at Tesla, like Gilbert really is the mastermind and the engine uh, behind Quant and and why it's been able to accomplish what it has um, as far as the enterprise adoption and the partnerships, which we'll touch on shortly. Um, which are quite impressive. Uh, it's it's his knowledge, it's his experience, and it's his connections that have really opened the door to Quant's success. So um, if you're at a computer on your phone, and you can go to his LinkedIn, um, first of, and foremost, but I'll go ahead and just read you kind of some of his experience. Uh, his last name is V-E-R-D-I-A-N, Gilbert Verdian. And um, so he worked at Ernst & Young, he worked at Her Majesty's Treasury, which is the UK government's treasury department, uh, HSBC, BP, uh, the UK Ministry of Justice. He was the director at PricewaterhouseCooper. He worked uh, at the UK Department of Health, um, the New South Wales Department of Finance, which is the Australian government. Uh, then in 2015, he launched Quant. But while he was building Quant in the background, he also worked at Vocalink, which is a MasterCard subsidiary where he won the Chief Information Security Officer of the Year in 2017 while he was working there. And then he went on to work for the Bank of England and then the United States Federal Reserve. All of these positions were in cybersecurity and most of them very high level cybersecurity. Um, and so in 2019, uh, 
he went full-time quant. This was um, after their ICO in 2018. Um, and, and here we are today. So um, I, I can actually just, I'm just going to read a real quick. Gilbert did a, a Twitter thread um, a few months ago, just kind of describing briefly how quant started. It's just a few sentences. And I think it's, um, you know, important. So, um, well, first of all, he said he had a concern with the in insecure architecture of the internet at its core level. This is back in 1997. And the fact that there's no encryption inherently built into the internet itself, right? So we have this internet of information where we can ship uh, text and audio and video very easily. This multimedia and, and communication has skyrocketed as a result, but there's no value transfer that we trust without a third party. We need the Venmos and the PayPals, et cetera, in order to move value across the internet. There's no encryption. There's no security. There's no internet of value, right? And so uh, he noticed this back in the 90s, and he thought that the best way to get this fixed was to start a career in security and wait for the technology to catch up. And so he ended up working in all these high-level cybersecurity positions across governments and central banks for about 20 years, helping to make internet protocols better and more secure. And then I'm going to go ahead and quote him here. He says, then came the Satoshi paper in October 2008, which of course is the Bitcoin white paper. I saw it a couple of weeks after it was released and loved it. Whoever Satoshi are, they understood security, decentralization, and internet scale networks. I was in the UK government at Her Majesty's Treasury at the time during the financial crisis. Being at a very senior level, I asked my colleagues to assess and do a policy on Bitcoin in 2008. This made the UK government the first government to assess Bitcoin. In 2013, I moved from the UK government to the Australian government and established the blockchain ISO standard TC307 in 2015. Like TCPIP, which we didn't touch on, TCPIP is essentially the protocol that interoperates Web2, right? It's, it's the Internet of Information uh, protocol by which data is moved around. Um, so he says, like TCPIP, this was the right way to create a common framework for interoperable and secure blockchain networks. And there's currently 62 countries that are working on this ISO standard. Um, so Ghost did a great job kind of outlining ISO. Um, it's an independent, non-governmental organization that creates international standards for different sectors, right? So like the size of paper for printers so that copier companies know how to build. You know, there's every business in every sector has standards. So for blockchain, um, you know, we need to have standards as well. Um, and part of that is interoperability. There are different working groups within the ISO um, within the ISO technical committee and Gilbert leads the two interoper, uh, two interoperation groups, right? Interoperability groups. Um, so he's also the co-chairman of the ANATBA standards committee as of July, 2021, which is the international association for trusted blockchain applications. It's a global forum that allows developers and users of DLTs to interact with regulators and policymakers to bring blockchain technology to the next stage. And they have 170 members from 32 countries. Um, so I think it's really important as you know, we've talked about this space still in its very uh, early days and not having yet reached maturity. We're in the early adolescence, I would say, if that. Um, things are only going to become more regulated and 
some of that's good. Some of that maybe not so good, but it's the reality of the situation. And so standards and are going to be crucial um, across, especially cross border as different governments and different regulatory bodies have different ideas about how to move the space forward. The more that we're coming together as a, a global ecosystem to talk about what's the next wave of the internet look like, how do we interact and how do we create open standards? Um, the more we talk about that, the more we organize those conversations, the quicker and the more effective it's going to be in order to make that transition. And Gilbert Verdian and Quant Network are at the heart of this standardization that's happening across the world. Greg, we we can't just leave in that. Uh, we got to at least like briefly touch on that. Like uh, everyone, if you didn't understand, Inatpa is not just some throwaway organization. It's it's the EU's formal entity that stewards and implements what's known as the EBSI, which is the European Blockchain Services Infrastructure. This is where um, there is one single coherent platform for, uh, again, uh, blockchain services uh, at national and international levels. Uh, like, like, for example, you have the ability to issue uh, digital credentials from, say, uh, a diploma, diploma of some kind. Um, and then you can uh, store them and use them using this uh, public infrastructure that is natively interoperable. And let me just say that again, the EBSI is natively interoperable in uh, it. Ghost is disappearing or is it just me? The irony. <laughs> Yeah, just things that he was mentioning, just uh, beyond my comprehension. <laughs> it's so. <clears throat> I'll, I'll touch on this briefly, but I, I think it's kind of relevant here. Um, we we talk about Overledger being the standard, but it, it, more than just being just the standard of the technology, as we started to talk about, it, it's the standard for regulations. It's the standard for compliance. It's the standard for KYC AML laws. Um, so a, as we see this space continue to evolve, I think. All of us here can agree that regulations will only continue to increase in blockchain and crypto. Um, we're, we're probably going to see some type of regulation on stable coins on, in the, the fairly short term here. Uh, and then along the way, we're probably going to see further regulation around you know, fiat gateways and just the, the same place we've continued to see those. So with Overledger, not only do you have a, a product that's ready to go live for any user to give them the access and ability to use any blockchain in real time and, and have a very practical uh, application in, in any sense. It also is going to be immediately compliant to every blockchain standard, to every uh, KYC, know your customer law, every um, anti-money laundering gateway. Basically, there will likely come a time in, in the fairly short term future where the relevance of a blockchain or crypto project is heavily predicated on its regulatory compliance and how well it adheres to those changes. Um, as we've heard internally in the community, you know, Gilbert's talked about regulations for, for years now, but these have only continued to come to fruition. And, and it's, again, the, the macro landscape is, is a pretty clear picture on what we're going to be seeing in, in, the, in the coming weeks, months, and, and, and really less than a year, in my opinion. So 
in addition to the practical functionality, it really just has these additional layers of um, just being the only way to do it. At least for the short term, there's not going to be many other solutions out there that provide those layers um, alone. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, while I was uh, doing my due diligence on blockchain and uh, like we mentioned in the past, one of the issues uh, why it hasn't been adopted just because of a lack of regulation and legal stuff. And I think there is not a single person in crypto who is better positioned to deal with regulation and legal stuff than Gilbert. And I think the fact that he that the government's actually going to ask him to help them build all of these products that they're trying to implement is just beyond impressive, in my opinion. Yeah, does anyone want to cover the, the UK government certification for Quant? Uh, some pretty cool stuff. Jeff? Uh, yeah, I think it was two years ago already that they uh, got the recognition from the UK government for their uh, G12 cloud program in which uh, they got certified to be able to deliver to a small section of government or uh, the NHS, a big health institution in the UK. I think it's over 450 governmental, yeah, how do you call them? Uh, yeah, institutions that can uh, that are able to be uh, that are able to use Quantum if they wanted to, which is a big honor because it's it takes a while to get certified, which we've seen with Oracle as well, the largest uh, the second largest uh, software provider in the world. It took them over a year to get certified completely. Uh, yeah. That's it for the yeah. UK for me. And Oracle as well, uh, just to build on what Jeff is saying, is a major provider of servers for real-time growth settlement systems. Like Oracle is partnered with Vocalink to run uh, the UK's uh, instant payments infrastructure um, and countless other entities as well. Like the way the people Quant has partnered with has been very strategic. Um, they've intentionally chosen to partner with the likes of Oracle, um, Sia, uh, Pay.uk, if y'all are familiar. Um, it's a new, again, uh, a revolution in how the UK will be running their infrastructure going forward. Um, Are they the biggest one in the in the United Kingdom? Oh, no, Pay.uk. Pay.uk pay is like, um, it's a consortia of... Uh, various card payment networks, banks, et cetera, banks, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And they, they are, it's like a public private partnership, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I was looking at this uh, partnership and uh, they mentioned that uh, Quan is a guarantor, yes. right? What does it mean? Yeah. Can you please elaborate on this? A guarantor is basically someone who has stake in this entity and can help dictate policy, which is just, you know, Gilbert showing how he can, um, help the standardization of an adoption of DLT uh, at at scale. Very simply, if if that can, I'm, I'm sure everyone, I'm sure there's a better way to put it, but that's the closest analogy I can come up with at the moment. Yeah, that's correct. It's it's just one of the many examples in which Gilbert is 
placing little seeds everywhere in which he can yeah fulfill his vision and it, yeah. i think it's really important to have some distinction here because um there's there's a word that gets thrown around a lot in crypto it starts with a p called partnership uh, <laughs> and and this word can mean a lot of different things uh, especially right now so with the goal of this talk today being creating distinction for overledger creating distinction for quant i, I want to touch on this briefly when when we talk about quant being involved in global standards bodies when we talk about quant getting certifications of approval through governments through uh global entities um this this is not uh, this is not what you normally see in crypto when you see a logo next to a, a cash tag um generally in crypto Partnership is a very loose term that can mean a lot of different things. I mean, there's many different ways to have a relationship, um, and they are almost exclusively less than more, uh, especially when dealing with the larger names. So you'll see um, some of the, the household names for uh, American publicly traded companies to get thrown around all the time. But if you actually look at and you break it down, what type of adoption are these protocols and networks actually getting from these companies? What type of um, cooperation is actually in collaboration is occurring not really a whole lot um it's it's really more just a it, it's a superlative it's it's, it's something, it looks nice it's something that's easy to talk about and gets people excited but for quant when we talk about a partnership with oracle when we talk about a partnership uh or or certification through the the uk government what we're basically getting is the the credibility and the reputation of a global brand of a multi billion dollar entity uh, saying that not only is this this is a good thing not only is this something that we believe in we're going to actively endorse it we're going to actively use it we're going to make this a part of our product and it's, it's effectively an extension of us so the the caliber of the entities involved with quant i i, th I think speaks volumes because we're again we're not seeing uh, these these open empty partnerships. This is real world adoption. This is real world integration, and and this is ultimately what will precede the the adoption of, of mainstream blockchain technology. Yeah, you know. It, oh, sorry, Greg. Go ahead. No, have a way, Max. No, I just wanted to say that, like, it's yeah, very important to point out that all of these partnerships that you see is just uh, tip of the iceberg, really because of the nature of their partnerships and non-disclosure agreements. Uh, because the amount of uh, entities, the amount of companies and enterprise and countries and governments that we see dealing with quant, it's probably nothing compared to the scope and the uh, magnitude of everything where they're involved. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's a little out of Ahead, I kind of took words out of my mouth um, with regards to the nature of uh, Quant's overledger being a white label product. So what is a white label product? Um, essentially, it's a, in this case, a technology that uh, is licensed out um, it, to, to businesses, right? It's a business to business um, kind of play where not only can you use our technology, but you can also brand it as your own. And it's a it's a selling point for a B2B company to be able to say, not in this case, quant, like not only can you use Overledger and integrate into your systems for X amount a year, um, but also you can just say that it's your in-house solution. 
you can own the technology from a public facing perspective. So that's white labeling a product. Now, the nature of white label uh, leads to a lot of non-disclosure agreements because Quant will then sign a contract that says you're going to buy this from us and you're going to be able to use it. And we're not allowed to tell anyone that we're servicing it for you. Um, Basically, it's on the customer's terms uh, whether or not they want to disclose that. So as we kind of open up the door to the partnerships part of this talk, um, the scope and magnitude of the partnerships that we've been able that have either been announced publicly or that we've been basically 99% sure been able to put together um, and, you know, and what they're working on is like Max said, just the tip of the iceberg because 95 plus percent of the companies that are using Overledger are it's not public information. And, and that's, and that's a quote from Gilbert. There you go. So um, now if you go into the telegram, um, these individuals, um, Jeff and ghosts and Hungarian and the likes have done an absolutely incredible job of digging through uh, white papers and press releases and websites of just um, some stuff that's not the most exciting reads, but we look for terms and we look for quotes and we look for consistencies, uh, the way that people are talking about their interoperability solutions and technologies, where we can kind of point the finger and say, I think Overledger's involved here. I think Quant's involved here. Now, we're probably not going to bring, because those are more speculative in nature, probably not going to bring those to the table today. But again, just know that despite the incredible scope of what we're about to uh, share with you, there is likely much, much, much more. I think as of 2019, uh, Gilbert had indicated that there were over 300 uh, enterprises using Overledger. We don't have an updated number, but it's likely much, much higher at this point. He has indicated that it's higher, but that's obvious. Um, but we don't have a new number, but there are hundreds and hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand plus um you know, companies and enterprises that are using this technology. Well, I mean, and it's to a point where knowing what we just said, um, we don't even have to focus on the speculative. We can focus on the confirmed. That's uh, right. Th- people like uh, Sia, and this is not uh, Sia, Sia coin or Sia, Sia chain. It'd be Sia coin, like the storage protocol, but this is Sia, the um, payments infrastructure. Um, for those that don't know, Sia recently... Uh, they're they're an Italian uh, company, and they uh, they also like Oracle run much of the real time growth settlement infrastructure for uh, nation states. Um, it, it's in the dozens, and they so the tactical outreach of them is incredible. And on top of that, they recently merged with Nexi, yet another uh, Italian payments giant, and who in turn uh, is merging with nets and uh they're all going to be known as uh, nexi um uh, the nexi group uh, yeah the nexi group and there's some sort of uh cap but it doesn't matter um but <laughs> this is like someone that could potentially rival the likes of uh mastercard the likes of visa in terms of it, it being a european payments uh giant uh, yeah, again, goes the, the current scope, 1,000 banks and financial institutions, 2 million merchants, 120 million cards, 21 billion annual transactions, and over 5,000 employees across 15 countries for Nexi Group now. Absolutely. 
like in yeah. in in this new entity you're saying, right? Yeah, post merger. Mm-hmm. And and post merger, I believe it, they are now officially the largest fintech provider in all of Europe. So that is correct. the kicker. There is is that Sia and Quant have an open partnership as of June 2019, where they agreed to explore blockchain interoperability. And then one year later, in June 2020. Uh, SIA released a statement that indicated that they have successfully tested cross-blockchain interoperability um, and that basically Overledger is going to run uh, all of their private blockchain infrastructure as it, as it relates to interoperability. So um, SIA has been linked to the European Central Bank, the ECB, uh, as, as far as the ECB um, choosing SIA to provide them with connectivity services, as Ghost alluded to, with real-time gross settlement platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, on, they're on the same level as SWIFT. They are one, they're treated so, one and the same. They're an interbank um, you know, system that allows for these financial messages to move up and back and do God knows how many financial messages per day. So the ECB, of course, uh, will also be responsible for creating the digital euro. Um, and Nexi, as they've now merged with SIA, has also been linked to the ECB. And I think in September, the CEO of Nexi said uh, on a panel or in an interview that uh, you know they've been in communication uh, and are contributing to the design of the digital euro, um, you know, alongside the European Central Bank. So now those two have both merged. It's so as far as we can tell, that's pretty much a lock that. Um, and we can get into the CBDCs. The, the digital euro is not the only CBDC that Quant will be involved in. Um, it's pretty clear that there's a number of others. Um, but that is, uh, through the SIA partnership, that's certainly um, a big one. Yeah, really quick, Greg, Greg before we move, uh, move to CBDC, and maybe uh, once we're on the subject of SIA, maybe we can just uh, touch on really quick about uh, some of the largest deployments of blockchain uh, are happening on SIA chain. And then one of the biggest projects on CA chain was built is Spanta. Maybe you guys can touch on this a little bit as well, because I think it's pretty important. You know, what's great is we, we went through the site and we put together kind of some topics we wanted to talk about. And looking at it, I think we've covered about 15% of what we consider to be a condensed list. <laughs> yeah, this there was no way this was going to be uh, <laughs> short or anything, but I think, you know, it'll be good as far, as long as any of us are around to share. I think there'll be people in and out of the rooms and this is all recorded. So I think the, the more we can get out that feels fresh, the better. Um, I'm happy to just kind of give an example of the scope as far as Spunta goes. Um, so this is a project uh, promoted by the Italian Banking Association. Um, as of August of 2021, um, the Spunta DLT network had reached 100 banks in Italy, representing 91% of Italian banks. So this is like the banking infrastructure for Italy, essentially. Um, within the first six months of the program, Spunta had processed over 200 million transactions. And the next full step, according to them, will be to run this application at full capacity 24-7. So get this, once they do that, and remember, Spunta is all being built on SIA chain, right? Which which quant, which they use over Ledger for interoperability um, between systems. So Spunta, once spun up, uh, no pun intended, to full capacity, will do an estimated total volume of 8.4 billion transactions per year. 
For context, Ethereum does 440 million transactions per year. So Spunta alone, which is one project on one partner of Quant, is going to be doing 19 times more transaction volume than Ethereum. So Greg, say that again. Make sure yeah. everyone heard that. 440 million transactions per year for Ethereum, the entire Ethereum network. They do a little over a million transactions a day. Spunta alone, which is just Italian banking, will do 8.4 billion transactions per year, which is 19 times more. Hey, Greg, and one more time, please. I dropped the mic, but I'm afraid I'm going to disconnect you. So. Yeah, we could, we could end the conversation there. Um, That's but... it. I'm in spaces right now. Thanks so much for joining. <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking for a mind-blowing emoji, and I couldn't find it just because it just, oh, wow, phenomenal. So, yeah, we, I believe there are uh, a dozen projects that are known uh, that are being built on SIA chain right now. Spunta is one of them. Um, and yeah, this is, again, one project on one partner. So with Quant, it's so interesting. Uh, we talked about Oracle a minute ago um, and how they're certified with Oracle now. They Oracle has over 400,000 clients, including some like major, major brands and major, major banks and major, major hospitals and healthcare data uh, companies. They just purchased a company called Cerner for nearly $30 billion a couple of weeks ago to become like a major uh, healthcare data information services, you know, provider and infrastructure. Um, you know, these, the level of these partnerships um, is so high that the, the guy who is the chief architect of the Oracle blockchain uh, platform basically was asked in an interview on YouTube about, uh, you know, the nature of the partnership between Overledger and Quant and how it's working in Oracle. And he's basically like, I'm not really sure. Like, he's like, Overledger is doing stuff at a much higher level than us. Uh, I'm not really sure. Like, I just know that this is what everyone's using. <laughs> this is the chief you architect. Know, it's, it's funny you say that. I, I have, I've actually have had conversations with some people that are very high up in some of these companies we'd recognize. And it's been the same conversation. Uh, I've spoken to actually to people in in the blockchain departments and, and arms of companies that are partnered with quant and yeah that's you're absolutely correct in what you're saying right now yeah so all of, all of these partnerships you know they're they're literally orders of magnitude larger than any other partnership in crypto any other project in crypto probably combined um and they're just one partner at a time each of those partners, again, we talked about kind of the 98% of the world and the 2% that's crypto. All the stuff that's going on in crypto, it's great. But Quant has really focused on enterprise, central banks, and governments to get this technology adopted at scale and is now kind of turning their head to the community a little bit more as we enter the new year. And so this will create a lot more buzz, hopefully, from, um, from an adoption perspective from the community. But their enterprise partnerships uh are just incredibly impressive i want to i want to say one more thing on oracle uh and it's actually it's going to be a quote from gilbert about a week ago he came to the community and he went through and gave us an update on just a few things that happened and, and in that he talked a little bit more about oracle um gilbert if you've followed him for any length of time you recognize that he's very intentional uh and then when he puts 
without a piece of information, it, it typically can be taken very objectively. And there can be a lot of weight in what he says. So reading it word for word, um, since the announcement, uh, referring to the announcement of the Oracle certification, our team has been busy dealing with incoming requests and inquiries from Oracle's clients. We had to go through a rigorous process over the last 12 months to reach the stage. And I'm extremely proud for our small team for working so hard to get to us this point. These clients are not small clients either. Just to give you a ballpark, in a previous company, our annual spend with Oracle was in the range of about $200 million. Now, here we have to jump to speculation, but the, the way that I interpret these types of things is, is Gilbert's basically coming on saying that, yeah, obviously all the things that we know about are true. Uh, but in addition to that, they're getting so much inertia of adoption through the the reputation that we previously discussed through the actual applications and use cases that they're overwhelmed with demand. They literally had to hire people just to process the amount of new clients they're getting right now. And here comes Gilbert saying that the type of clients, the type of interest they're getting is somewhere near the, the three digit mark for, for millions, like multiple hundreds of millions of dollars into singular clients. Um, so I think that it's kind of interesting to think about, but uh, a nice little note to add right there. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great addition, Hungarian. And I think Gilbert mentioned a couple of times that uh, this is their strategy, uh, just trying to partner with uh, large global enterprises, which uh, in turn introduce their technology to other clients. And with this approach, they land uh, the amount, the number and quality of partners that would took them like 20 plus years or something along these lines. Yeah, so that, that specifically with SIA. Uh, the, the other thing, and, and I'm just going to cover this really briefly because it's, it's a huge topic, is, is the big four. Um, we, we've talked about it before as a community, but I think this is something that deserves a lot more recognition. Um, the big four, if you don't know, it, it stands for four giant, supermassive consulting companies that essentially oversee like 80 to 90% of the U.S. You left the building again. Jeff, take it over. Save, save. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's consulting. Well, they do consulting as well, but it's the biggest four accounting firms. Oh, he's back. Basically, <laughs> these four companies provide direct oversight and influence to basically every publicly traded company, uh, or at least as far as household names go. Quant is basically at the level to where they're not just endorsed, but actively um, actively endorsed, actively recommended by these companies. So KPMG, one of the, the four, the big four consulting companies, actually gave them an award, as did Deloitte, I think, the year prior. So what, what you're seeing is, in the background, B2B companies that don't really resonate with the average retail investor because we don't operate at those levels. We don't interact with these B2B organizations. Um, but what's happening is these giant companies are essentially through association, through different levels of, of a partnership or through usage, or just through direct advocation through a trusted entity like Oracle or a management consultant company. Overledger is gaining traction of adoption at an exponential rate right now. And again, the big four is a huge topic. And basically, I, I could sit through and I could name off every company and you'll recognize every single major brand. But being having one of the big four or in our case all of the big four advocating for quant is kind of like winning from the beginning um 
the biggest companies aren't going to go out and do their own research and hop on Twitter and, and see, oh, that looks like a good blockchain solution. They're going to call Deloitte and they're going to ask them what they recommend for this enterprise blockchain solution or, or whatever it is. So, um, the, again, the level that they're operating at, the level of the network effects that they're getting through adoption is, is almost at a point where you could argue, obviously, the first mover advantage has been secured, but the inertia at this point is so substantial that it's, it's and I'll, I'll go on a limb here, but it's, it's all but guaranteed, I would say. Don't, don't also, I mean, for all the wonderful opportunities that exist within corporations that, ex that are established now, don't lose your eyes off the prize here. Um, quant is a true gateway in every sense of the word, both technically and uh, in a macro sense. This, uh, this technology is transformative and it will, um, in the adoption of it, um, change corporations into something different. Um, this may not be uh, two years down the line, five years down the line. It may be more than 10 years down the line, but uh, we will not recognize the corporations that understand what DLT is and adopt them in a fundamental sense. So this is like, it's, it's very, very good to focus on quant because they're, they're, uh, uh, their their focus is is distinct from all of crypto. That being providing enterprise grade software um, that is also inter interoperability with the uh, permissionless ledgers. But uh, I just want to reiterate that fact. But it's not only enterprise grade software. It's so much larger because the scale of quant and ISO and and we didn't even mention ODAP yet. Which is uh, combined yep. with MIT. Dubbin, wait. Yeah, I know. We all have. I didn't want to open Pandora's box just yet. <laughs> yeah. The, Switching the, excitement. The scale yeah. is insane. Quickly before we jump into ODAP, I think just to remind you guys like, so Quant and Overledger, it's not a blockchain, right? It's an API gateway for connecting blockchains. So what that enables you to do is where you have, when you have these other blockchain interoperability protocols like a Polkadot or a Cosmos, these are blockchains that live on top of blockchains. And this is not conducive uh, for like a, a universal approach, especially when it comes to traditional and legacy infrastructure. So the API gateway is basically as an enterprise, you can come in and just plug into the API with three lines of code and now you can build multi-chain smart contracts across all these different blockchains, whether they're public or private or permissioned or permissionless, right? So this is, um, and again, we talked about all the different languages you can code in as well, so you're not restricted. Um, it's just, it's so accessible and it's so, we're far enough down the pipeline where um, it's clearly been adopted uh, behind the scenes and not even, it's more like in like hiding in plain sight to be honest, like this is such an interesting point, um, especially, and we're not getting into price really, I suppose, but, um, you know, if you're just trying to establish a position now, like, I think it's also a very interesting time because, you know, we're probably 60% off of the highs or more um, as the, the whole space has kind of had a down, you know, Q4 rolling into the new year here. So um, yeah, it's just an incredible time. Uh, the overlap of kind of, the level of adoption, the time in the space, and 
you know, it's incredible. Like I'm, I'm a part of a lot of conversations in this space and outside of quant um, and interoperability. The word is obviously something that immediately my ears perk up because I'm like, I know more about that than you. Like, that's what I think. And I'm like, what are they going to say? Uh, do they know about quant? And um, a lot of people just don't know. They don't realize yet. And that's great because it allows us to kind of build our positions. Um, but the evidence is overwhelming. Um, and we really haven't even scratched the surface here so far. Um, and we'll get, I guess we'll get to as much as we can, but, um, the adoption combined with like the need, like this problem solution, I hear interoperability pop up now more than ever. Um, like specifically across like clubhouse where there's a lot of independent developers and, and DeFi folks like DGENs and just people playing around in the space and experimenting and trying all the new things and interoperability over the last like three or four months. I just hear it in every room now. Um, it gets me really excited. And um, yeah, so, so I think, does anyone want to like maybe, maybe ghost or somebody try to tackle ODAP a little bit and it's relation to overledger because we're, you know, we're talking about upgrading the internet and obviously that's not going to be the, uh, it's not going to be brought to you by a company, right? The internet is in open source, uh, you know, open standards environment and upgrading that is going to give more power to the people using it, not less. So Overledger um, is Quant's product that interacts with this new internet but there is actually an open source internet that Quan is helping dis, uh, develop alongside MIT um, that's called ODAP or the Open Digital Asset Protocol. So if someone wants to, you know, start tackling that. If, if I don't spontaneously combust like I have 12 times in the past 30 minutes, then I would love to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so ODAP, uh, this is the... Uh, I guess you could say it's like, it, it's the analogy to TCP IP. Um, for this new era of the exchange of information across entities in Web3. Um, it's a decentralized, uh, or it's just, a, it's a protocol. It's not a platform. So uh, Overledger and the OVN, which is, I mean, we haven't even broached the o Overledger network, which is the interconnected series of gateways, which will be uh, running ODAP to communicate. Um, but uh, this is uh, this is a product and this is a platform and uh, it's monetized and and commodified even by the Q and T utility token, which is fantastic. There's so many advantages to it. Um, Q and T is necessary for all operations on Overledger and the OVN, um, but for ODAP, this is actually uh, an open. It's an open floor. Um, any entity, whether it's uh, the likes of Corda, whether it's the likes of a Hyperledger. Uh, project, whether it's um, a digital asset, which I know a lot of chain linkers are familiar with, um, any of these entities uh, can run this uh, digital. Man, it was going so well. Jeff, you want to take over? Uh, yes. Uh, well, some of the confirmed entities that are working along. Uh, Quant, MIT, we've seen Visa now uh, acknowledging ODEP uh, recently, uh, the US government, Swisscom, all the big, uh, Juniper networks, all the big entities that are 
in this space, the the internet space. I mean, it, gonna, yeah. If, if we're going to talk about ODAP, I think we got to we got to cover very briefly at least TCP/IP and in the IETF, because for for me that's what gets really crazy in this. Um, I would start even before that because the yeah. current internet is uh, well sort of co-founded so, by MIT. In yeah, I mean, that's a good point. So MIT, if you guys don't know, uh, it, it's not just uh, an educational institution. It's not just a research institution. It's MIT is essentially the leading entity or one of the leading entities for technological uh, evolution. Basically, almost every element of the Internet of today and of just many modern technologies came through MIT. Um, and, and a lot of their research. But um, if we go back to in, in the early 90s, before the Web 2 became interoperable, you had to connect to your internet service provider, your ISP, and you, you do your dial-up internet and you get their flavor of internet. And you can get, you know, maybe Netscape or whatever, and you, you can go to only their particular things within their silo. That's the way blockchain is right now. I can connect to Avalanche and I can use the Avalanche ecosystem and maybe I can bridge to Ethereum uh, maybe I, I open up on Solana and I have some other options, but I'm, I'm largely limited to the provider or the protocol itself. Uh, anything outside of that gets exponentially more complicated and, and really just not effective and practical to scale. And then along comes in the, in the 90s, this organization called the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force. And, and together with MIT and, and some others, what they did is they created the, the TCP IP protocol which fundamentally, as Greg said earlier, is just, it's interoperability for web two. It's, it's the connection and communication of Deeper data. Than web two. And, and that the web itself. Yeah. <laughs> like web two, I think, I think we got to be careful with this. The web itself uses TCP IP, um, but web two, this is. And it's gone again. He's keep interjecting, so I have to mute him every time. <laughs> so I, I'll let Ghost dive deeper into this because he, he's absolutely right. Um, this stuff gets really intricate. But the, the point that I wanted to get across is that this organization, the IETF, uh, together with MIT, these are the same people who started ODAP. Um, ODAP actually isn't even a, a quant creation. Quant was invited to be a part of ODAP by the IETF and by uh, by um that's not completely true because no? it was it was Gilbert with uh, the idea of uh, another internet and an, an internet created for uh, value transactions, and he spoke to uh, Thomas Arjano, one of the professors at uh, MIT, and uh, uh, he shared his vision and his idea, and then they created this ODAP protocol and they invited all these uh, entities that's how it went Ghost, so we have you... 60 seconds before you get a booter so go ahead <laughs> <laughs> he's quiet so so just wrapping that up i mean this it really is um it's it's the same or, or very similar to the steps that brought about the internet that we know today it's, it's largely the same people and the same steps of that process happening right now with Quant and ODAP, bringing about the next generation of internet, the IoT, the IOV, um, what, whatever we want to call it, but it's, it's the blockchain internet, the internet of trust. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so 
I, yeah, it's, it's just super important to understand and then how quant relates to it. Right. And how, you know, from an investor standpoint, how the QNT token then becomes a part of that. So if we understand that ODAP uh, will become kind of the TCP IP for blockchain and distributed ledger and kind of this upgraded internet, um, the same way TCP IP connects all networks on the web, ODAP will connect all DLT infrastructure on the upgraded web or web three or whatever you want to call it. Um, MIT and Quant are the founders of this protocol that they're working on and proposing with draft after draft to the IETF until this moves forward and is massively adopted. Um, it's been referenced, like we mentioned, uh, Visa released an interoperability report a few months ago. It was cited multiple times in that. Um, and it's very exciting because if we understand that this is the protocol that the upgraded internet, let's call it, will live on. How does that relate to quant and overledger? Well, in order to access this protocol, you're going to need gateways um, or some sort of provider that allows you to interact with it. And quant and overledger is currently the only ODAP compliant gateway infrastructure that's available. And so, you know, in the early goings, you're going to see a massive amount of market share pushed towards Overledger. So over, Overledger is an access point to the new internet. And they are in many ways leading the standardization of this new internet and the ways to interact with it. And then as a QNT holder, um, you can actually become a gateway um, yourself, which involves basically staking your tokens and receiving uh, transaction fees or you know a small portion of that um, as a, you know an APR an APY. We don't know the numbers behind this, and actually, uh, community staking is not fully live yet. So you can see how early we are. But this the technology is live; it just hasn't been released to the public yet. But that's coming um, in the sh in short order. Uh, we don't have dates, but um, if anything, it's overdue. So it could come literally at any time. Um, so yeah, again, ODAP is the protocol and overlay, and it's an open protocol for all. And there will be competition that arises that wants to access and utilize ODAP as they build out these new technologies. But what quant has going for it is not only is it the first to market with an exceptional product, but that product is patented in such a way that even if you're to access ODAP via another gateway provider or competition, Quant has patented the multi-chain decentralized application technology, their overledger technology that applies this ordering and filtering layer across blockchains. They have a patent on that. So you can access it, but you still can't build across multiple chains. You can just access it and build on your one chain. Or maybe there will be little loopholes, but Quant has such a head start. Uh, on this new wave and doing it the right way uh, from an, a, you know, a standardized and regulatory compliant perspective um, and are literally help building the new protocol itself alongside MIT. I'm letting the silence happen so everyone can process that. I mean, it's, it's just truly mind blowing stuff. I mean, it's just, 
what what Quan is doing with ODAP alone is something that is really larger than is, is happening anywhere else in crypto. Um, a lot of, you know, with the, with the nature of Quan, a lot of the information isn't public. So you, you have to recognize we're operating with pretty limited exposure here and pretty limited visibility. And even what we know is, is just truly um, absolutely incredible stuff. So when we look at who's involved in ODAP, um, the, some of the initial drafts that have been submitted to the IETF do have some some names of some different organizations, and Gilbert has talked about this publicly before. That's where a lot of this information comes from. But right now, uh, some of the confirmed entities that we have within the ODAP working group, uh, of course, is the IETF. We have the U.S. government, um, MIT, Intel, Visa, and Juniper, which is not a household name, but a very, very large provider for cybersecurity in the B2B world. Very big name. So to have entities like this involved um, in, in this project, when we already have the pedigree of innovation and development from MIT, we have the the history and the, the network of relationships the IT have has. Uh, and then we have the actual standards being built around the technology. We have the efficacy of the tech itself. As previously discussed, like this is the best way to interoperate. It's, it's really the only practical way to do this at scale. Um, so when you bring it all together, you, might, you may hear the term on Twitter, tokenized TCPIP, when we're talking about quant, when we're talking about QNT tokens specifically. And I, my hope is that as we've spent this, wow, almost, almost two hours now talking about this, my hope is that you guys have been able to see a bigger, a, a greater part of the vision. It's not just about what company's using this. It's not just about, uh, is, is the price up 20% today or not? It's about being part of a technological revolution and evolution at, at such the ground floor to where value accrued in these tokens is, is kind of relative at this point. Like if, if we accept everything that we're talking about to be Uh, Twitter doesn't want to accept what Hangar is saying right now, so they decided to mute him. <laughs> I think one thing that... Oh, Jeff, do you want to go ahead? No, go ahead, Tegra. I was just going to say that, um, yeah, the scope the scope is like kind of hard to even wrap our heads around, that's for sure. Um, but just to, you know, to keep adding on, I think, is, you know, there's so much that to add <laughs> that... Uh, I think we should do so. So we're talking about kind of the MIT partnership. And I think there's going to be something else that really, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is all but confirmed that if it does get announced in any kind of official way would be huge. Um, but uh, basically, MIT in August of 2020 uh, partnered with the Federal Reserve. Basically, the Federal Reserve went to MIT and said, hey, can you do some, can you do the due diligence and the technical research for building a CBDC, which is a central bank digital currency? In this case, because of the Federal Reserve, we're talking about the digital dollar. Um, and you may have heard CBDC get thrown around. And we're basically talking about uh, whether or not you believe in them or, you know, it's, uh, you know, this still, the, it's still fiat money. Um, and depending on how you view crypto, you know, we're all, you know, rooting against the central banks and all this type of stuff. But the reality is that it's happening either way. I, I look at the space, you know, just to zoom out, like 
I look at it like as we move more and more towards decentralization, um, that's a journey. That's not going to happen overnight. It's taken even 12 years to get Bitcoin like as, you know, people don't laugh at you when you say it anymore. Like that's the stage we're at. We haven't really even begun the fight that's probably around the corner as far as the, the existing system. And if Bitcoin were to ever be a substantial part of the global economy or any sort of reserve currency, we're not there yet. We're frankly, we're not that close. Um, so in the meantime, there we're going we're watching as these central banks start to build out their own blockchain infrastructures as far as uh, moving their fiat currencies to the blockchain, which provides them um, more uh, oversight as well as cost effectiveness, being able to distribute money. You know, we saw what happened with like, you know, our stimulus checks if you're in the U.S. and how much of a cluster fuck that was. And they'll be able to have you're going to have these you know, we're looking at the vaccine passports and not to make this political, but this is what's happening, right? Is we're going to need this like digital ID stuff. That's all going to be coming our way, um, whether or not we like it. And in the long term, while it may not last um, and we may fight through that or, or however this all plays out, there is going to be a gray area, in my opinion, over the next one to two decades where central banks and governments and all this stuff are still very much in control. And I see QNT as a way to profit off of that, um, off of that, you know, the fact that it's going to happen whether or not I like it in the short term. So having said that, um, if we turn to kind of these central bank digital currencies, one of the probably, if not the major use case for Overledger right off the bat is financial infrastructure and central bank digital currencies across the globe. And allowing countries to move money around in real time, uh, gross settlements and being able to do cross border transactions at scale without third parties. Um, now, all of these different countries and central banks are going to be building infrastructure on different tech stacks, right? They're all their own entities. They want to do it their own way. And a lot of it will overlap and a lot of it won't. And but all these countries need to be on again, back to like these idea of like standards and um, on similar infrastructure. So Gilbert has positioned Quant to be integral in the development of these central bank digital currencies through Quant's multi-ledger token technology or MLTs, which essentially allow any financial institution or government, let's say, or central bank to lock up a certain amount of currency in escrow in a financial institution, mint the equivalent amount of that money as a token on a DLT, and then apply Quant's multi-ledger token technology. And that token can now be used on any DLT everywhere. And as those tokens are being used and spent and secured and traded and what have you, the auditable record uh, will be maintained on the original DLT that it was minted on. So this is not possible. One token can only live in one blockchain right now, but Quant has technology that's being applied to central bank digital currencies in particular that will allow tokens to live anywhere at any time in different ecosystems and different networks. And this is very important. So all this to say, um, MIT partnered with the Federal Reserve to help 
explore the technical side of building out a digital dollar about a, a little over a year ago. Now, um, MIT and Quant obviously are working together on ODAP. Um, and now as of November, MIT and Quant released a joint white paper that's called Implementing a CBDC, where it essentially describes the challenges of building a central bank digital currency and how Quant's multi-ledger token technology specifically helps solve these challenges. And so to me, I mean, it's basically just one plus one equals two, right? It's MIT is building the digital dollar and MIT is on the side releasing a white paper that says, if we were to build a CBDC, this is how we do it uh, with Quant's multi-ledger technology. I invite you to Google implementing a CBDC and MIT and you'll find the white paper where they outline how the technology works. They also, well, we haven't talked about LAC chain yet, um, but they, they outline kind of another project that MLTs uh, are being deployed on. Um, that's another, I'll probably get to that next, but I just wanted to, to point to this MIT and quant collaboration um, that is spanning different projects from ODAP to the digital dollar. Now, we haven't seen the headline, you know, digital dollar to be like using overledger or anything like that. Not yet, but we have signs we've outlined today so far that point to the digital euro through SIA and Nexi. Um, and their partnership with Quant, and now with the digital dollar through MIT, um, there are a couple of others that are confirmed as well that are quite large. Um, but I wanted to just point to that MIT uh, implementing a CBDC white paper as a massive indicator of what's happening behind the scenes with the Federal Reserve with Quant involved. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, there's so many little details we can go into. I mean, just even the medic archaeology of the term the internet of trust uh, which comes from mit uh, and their connection sciences uh, branch um, this and sandy pentland who's a notable academic there um, gilbert use that same meme to describe overledger and lo and behold they're working together some years later um, and to touch on lac chain as well lac chain that being latin america chain um, this is a uh, uh, a, an entity that is, or it's a, it's an infrastructure actually that's running uh, uh, for many different nation states. It's run by the International Development Bank, um, and this is a development bank established after World War II to seed uh, infrastructure among all these different nation states. Um, they are running through, as Greg was saying, Quant's MLT technology, a sort of Latin America dollar. So. Um, even if Quant um, isn't assured, say, the contract for the integration on the digital dollar domestically, Quant is already running the infrastructure, a, a test run, so to speak, for a digital dollar uh, offshore. And and people, uh, as we as we as people can see uh, in El Salvador, when you don't have access to dollars, they turn to desperate situations in the sense that El Salvador is turning to Bitcoin. It kind of highlights just how notable the dollar is. Nearly every nation in this uh, sphere is dependent upon dollar access to just run their economies. 
Um, so uh, what quant is doing uh, being the uh, source of interoperability between all the different DLTs that LAC chain, just like the UBSI, is providing uh, access to public utilities from is a, an extremely powerful position. So guys, as, as we wrap up, or sorry, as we approach this two hour mark, I wanna make sure that we're respectful of all of our speakers and as well as all of our listeners here. Looking at the content that we pre-prepared, I think we could easily spend um, another two to three hours just on, again, this condensed list. I, I would wonder, and I'm opening up the group here, for the sake of, of ensuring that we do the due diligence required for quant on these. Oh. Yeah, I think uh, what Hanger Hank wanted to say that uh, we've been covering this for the past uh, two hours and the amount of information that is left is just overwhelming and we, don't, we didn't want to overwhelm you guys. And uh, so for all the listeners, I just keep uh, including uh, some of the important posts uh, at the top of the spaces. So if you would like to uh, dig a little bit deeper uh, and uh, just start your due diligence process, you're more than welcome to go ahead and check them. And just like Hungarian said that, uh, just to be respectful for all of your guys' time, maybe we can stick around for the next, like, I don't know, like 10, 15 minutes to do a Q&A, just like we promised at the beginning, if it's cool with you guys. Yeah, I'm happy to stick around um, for as long as we need. I wanted to just make sure that from the CBDC perspective that we just quickly, I just want to highlight what we know for sure, um, we, we talked about the digital euro. We talked about the digital dollar. Ghost just mentioned the Latin American dollar. I think uh, even understated it a bit where Gilbert basically came out and said, we are creating the Latin American dollar. Like he said it straight up uh, on video on their Twitter and that it will be between 12 Latin American countries creating Starfleet. an interbank network and open remittance and payment corridors between the US and Latin America. So this is confirmed. Um, and then finally, just to wrap up kind of the confirmed or highly, highly spec, uh, not highly speculative, high, highly uh, likely situations in terms of the dollar anyway. Um, they are, Quan is also a founding member of the Digital Pound Foundation in the UK. Oh my goodness, how could we forget that? Um, so they're building the digital pound as well, or at least providing interoperability. So, um, you know, they're also partnered with AU Cloud, which is Australia's infrastructure as a service that provides, you know, infrastructure for the Australian government and critical national industries. Um, that basically the Department of the Defense there and other major industries, uh, they've said that in order to, you know, use blockchain to interact with supply chain and critical infrastructure, national record keeping, financial services, we need overledger, otherwise they will not be able to communicate with each other. And this partnership is uh, three years old, almost three years old at this point, or actually over three years. So um, we're talking about global span. Um, so we don't have to dive in too much more, but I just want to highlight that, that like there's really all of the major economies. Uh, there is some, a deal that was uh, leaked with China as well, not leaked, but uh, from 2000 and I believe 18, where they signed a five-year exclusive partnership to explore blockchain with the JBI. But I don't think we've really heard anything since then. So I don't, we don't have any actions well, that are- Well, oh, we've seen their, their entity 
um, which is the CBN. Um, isn't the CBN the Chinese blockchain? Uh, no, I'm thinking of something else. Sorry. <laughs> There's another you're, you're FA nugget. <laughs> yeah, not that one. <laughs> no, not telecom. <laughs> no, no, we're just that's that's a whole other can of worms. But um, yeah, what, what's oh my goodness, what's the uh, Chinese national? Yeah, red date made it, but I yes. Can't... Oh goodness, there's so much FA LEC chain and. And then this Chinese blockchain infrastructure. Is it like a GBI? No? No, 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 no. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Well, while Ghost looks up, just to, to slam the point home. The, B, the BSN. The BSN. There, oh, yeah. The blockchain service network. So, and that the origins of this are, are murky. It may or may not use quant, um, but it is a multi-blockchain a services infrastructure, very similar to LEC chain and EBSI, which have very, very close ties to Quad. Um, if this is a white label or even a reverse engineer, um, regardless, it's um, highly interesting that they are so similar in nature, but that this is the realm of speculation and I'm speaking out of my depth. Yeah, that was a great addition. I was going to say maybe we can uh, leave a CBDC topic for our next spaces discussion. Just kind of like uh, stop it there because I think there's uh, definitely a lot of projects, a lot of partnerships in a lot of countries to cover. And uh, if we can go ahead and do a quick Q&A, I just added uh, Jeff as a speaker. Jeff, do you have a question? Yeah, hi. So I was just listening... And um, I was just wondering how Quant would like connect blockchains like Solana with would it, would it be able to connect black blockchains like Solana with like Cosmos, for example? Absolutely. Um, it all all it requires is a connector framework, which is basically um, it, it's it's a means of uh, like representing what's happening on Solana in a standardized way. And you can do the same for uh, um, Cosmos. And so once this is done, um, then uh, anyone can uh, basically donate their perspective of what's happening on Solana or Cosmos or any other Cosmos chain, mind you, um, through this standardized connector framework, this this viewpoint, and then uh, you can just achieve seamless interoperability there. So, um, and, and the nice thing about this is that uh, Quant has kind of inno innovated this term called DLNs. These are uh, digital ledger networks. Um, like for example, Cosmos is a DLN that is built on the DLT uh, of Tendermint. Tendermint is the consensus network, whereas Cosmos is a specific instance of Tendermint. Now, there are other Tendermint chains, and most are very similar to Cosmos. So if you build a connector framework to Cosmos, then you can easily repurpose that for, say, um, Terra or Secret Network or Checked or any of these other Tendermint-based chains and provide native interoperability across all of them. 
So that would be the approach by which you would uh, provide interoperability between these two examples. Okay, thank you. It's just because, I mean, the way that quant is marketed, it's not really put out in this manner. Like, for example, DeFi users, they wouldn't ever think of this when reading quant's papers, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, definitely something they've put on the back burner just because of the the scale and the nature of how they want to partner with um, and they want to basically bring their technology to market. But uh, as we've mentioned before, this is changing, um, and uh, it, the the need to address DeFi and to address decentralized uh, um, permissionless protocols will be undeniable. So, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean. Mm -hmm. Quant and maybe one of two companies are like the only ones doing it. So it's a, it's a race. Yeah. Yeah. Just We've got pole position. Oh, go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Greg. I was just going to add a little bit of color to that as well. Um, as far as, you know, overledger's capability to connect um, to different, um, to different blockchains and DLTs um, as ghost pointed out, like, on the community side or on the DeFi side, um, it hasn't been as important to Quant's strategy. So this is a, guys, this, this, yes, there is a token involved here. However, Quant is operating as a true B2B enterprise company, which I think is part of the reason that possibly Max got so excited is because he's a FinTech guy. He understands how all this technology is working and Quant kind of lives in the middle of crypto and legacy um, and traditional, right? So currently the over, uh, Overledger supports um, what they call the Enterprise 5, which are Hyperledger Fabric, R3 Corda, Ethereum, JPM Quorum, which is JP Morgan, and XRP Ledger. Those are the Enterprise 5. And then they also support Bitcoin, Constellation, EOS, Stellar, IOTA, and Binance Chain. Now, these are confirmed and on their website. However, um, we do know that uh, one major contributor and a recent hire, uh, I guess seven months ago, so fairly recent, um, has on his LinkedIn page that he's, you know, for Quant has worked on building substrate connectors supporting Polkadot and Kusama. And now this is not on their website or anything. So it makes me wonder how many other blockchains they ha you know, that are more DeFi oriented or community oriented, let's say, um, that they have that they haven't yet released to the public. Um, so I could see this is speculation, of course, but I could see um, as more and more of this community infrastructure gets released um, that a whole host of, you know, sexy blockchains, let's call them the Solanas, the Avalanches, um, the Cosmoses, the Polka Dots, all these types of things um, kind of come out at once is like, hey, we also support all of these come and build. Right. So, you know, Gilbert has indicated that in addition to their enterprise roadmap, they are also building for or, or starting to um, figure out ways to market to independent developers to build, come and build MDAPs. And we touched very briefly on this QRC20 protocol um, that we don't have a ton of information about, 
but the community has been able to speculate to a point that we feel pretty comfortable, like the general gist of it, which will involve being able to port your existing smart contracts that are EVM compatible directly into Overledger such that they become natively interoperable by just plugging it into the API. So something like Solana, I doubt will be overlooked as Quant turns its marketing efforts towards the community and to independent developers and, um, you know, not away from enterprise. That's obviously their bread and butter. But um, I think 2022 will absolutely be the year that Quant kind of shines some light on itself to the crypto community. Greg, this is Chip Simmons. I, you were starting to uh, creep up to a point that uh, I wanted you to take a little further. And thank you all for putting this together. It's been it's been great. Um, but it, it, Quant being a private company, there's only so much research we can do to evaluate the, you know, demand for the token. Like I think someone alluded to the statement that. Um, uh, Gilbert made a while back uh, about having 300 customers. To my to my knowledge, he hasn't uh, given any indication since that time of what the demand for, you know, a quant license and hence the quant token uh, might be over time. So the place where, and I built a substantial position in it and I'm a huge fan, but the place I got stymied um, in doing my own research was in trying to bridge that gap between all of the use, use cases that we've been talking about for the last two hours, and they are overwhelming, and the scope is unbelievable, and it, and it does make you feel like the sky's the limit. But ultimately, as an investor, you've got to be able to answer the question, how does that translate into uh, demand for uh, the token? Um, and if it, it's a private company that's not going to you know, disclose its number of customers or number of licenses like, say, a Microsoft would, then that leaves the rest of us to try to follow a, I call it a trail of breadcrumbs, uh, some of which have been mentioned on this call, to try to pick up certain indicia um, of the adoption and use um, of the technology. And I know when I first started uh, my research on Quant, I contacted uh, somebody at Oracle that I found. Uh, you know, they went in and not that we need more confirmation on Oracle. I think now there's a ton of it out there that's come out in the last six months from Oracle sources, which is the best sort of validation uh, one can get. But the uh, my source was either was unwilling uh, to disclose it or couldn't access it. Um, but uh, all he said was, you know, in that sort of fintech startup program, they get a thousand applications and out of that thousand, they select 20 and, and Quant was one of those 20. And then they go through like an incubation period. Uh, and then Quant obviously passed through that incubation period in a very stellar way and has now come out of it as a, you know, certified uh, partner. But if, if Quant never discloses that sort of the number of licenses or adoption, like I'm still stuck a little bit like it. Like, like, for example, if you think about demand as it applies to processing transactions for financial institutions, I think there's two ways to look at that. You know, one is you've got 100 people that work in payment processing at a bank, and let's say every one of them needs a license, and every one of them has to pay $100 worth of quant in order to get it. Well, that's one thing. But other, when it comes to actually processing all of those transactions, once they have the license, um, how do you all have a view on how the processing of all of those transactions 
you know, translate into uh, a sort of investment case for the token beyond just st- whenever these rules come out, staking the token and then benefiting some from transaction fees. That That's a place I got stymied, and I was just curious, uh, Greg or Ghost or others, if you had a view on that. Uh, Chip, your approach is uh, meticulous, and it's nice and refreshing to hear um, such a uh, fundamentals-based analysis of uh, why uh, why one should in, just investigate quant, let alone invest into it. Um, but I would say that we have to turn to the different uh, business models and economic papers they've released over the past few years. Um, they've mentioned several different models, one being on a uh, per transaction basis, one being on a uh, per like for a corporation, like an entire entity, and that there would be batches of, uh, I I would suppose these are MDAP calculations that are determined um, by the, this would be the the treasury that Quant is running. Um, And at the moment, again, I, I can't say that we're at a much more advantageous position than you found yourself. There's a lot of uh, things we don't know, but based on what Gilbert has said, once the um, the OVN is in an, a much more public and uh, presentable space, there will be a dashboard that will reflect the number of Q&T that is being locked up over time. And we can palpably see that um, by inflows, both, uh, so there'll be a, there, there's the, the locking of Q&T uh, in the permissionless sense, in the sense of like, there's actually an on-chain contract. So there's an on-chain treasury. And once that on-chain treasury address is known, we can look to that and we can say, oh, there's like 500,000 QNT in there. Or as well, there is the ability, there's a private, there's also a private uh, off-chain treasury to boot, which would say if some corporation wants to pay in dollars, then they can uh, you know, give quant the dollars and dollar the quant converts those dollars into uh, Q and T through the likes of like maybe Gemini or Coinbase or all these other liquidity providers uh, where where quant can uh, fetch that Q and T for them and lock it up for them discreetly. Um, and so in that sense, yes, part of it is not disclosable. Um, but uh, so, so ghost that that gets to an interesting uh, point because. Um, I'm sure we've all been, while we may have longer term views, it's still hard not to get a little frustrated by the price action in the short term when you have the view of quant that probably a lot of people on this call, including me, uh, have. Um, But it would, you know, if you look at right before this call, just for the heck of it, you know, I added up the transaction volume on both um, Qcoin and Coinbase Pro, Mm -hmm. um, through which I had purchased some of mine. and, And you're looking at you know, the, the, the daily transaction volume on those two today was about 1% um, of the outstanding supply of quant. Um, and if demand starts to materialize um, in the way that we all hope it does and in the way that you guys have, uh, have outlined, it would seem like to me that you'd start to see almost an immediate impact Um, on the demand for quant and the effect on the price. I don't know how it couldn't Mm -hmm. unless the people who are holding it now started dumping. (laughs) And and even even then, it's like, 
Like, I don't know if you go into a seal, let's say, and everybody has to have a seat license for quant. I have no idea how many people that is. Is that a hundred people? Is that a thousand? I honestly don't know. Yeah. I think in uh, that but, instance, it wouldn't be per head. It would be like, they would prepay for like this amount of computation or transactions. Um, and then, and I think there might be some unlimited class where, Again, it's it's weird. Quant the topology of how they're going to provide services is both um, centralized by uh, an overledger instance the quant team runs, and then also decentralized, like a bunch of what are called remote connector gateways in which the staking, right. as we talked about before, like people can contribute their own uh, DLT node perspectives and run computations for MDAPs uh, at scale. Um, well, so, one, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised in a way, yeah. um, given their business model, mm -hmm. that they're even going to allow remote connector gateways just because I'm not <laughs> a technical person. So you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But that fact alone would seem to create a security risk that actually runs contra to their entire business model, because, you know, their business model that they, they don't care about decentralized and permissionless. And, and I know why. And that is if something goes wrong, you know, you, you need, if you're, if you're Jerome Powell, you need to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody oh, and yeah. say, oh, yeah. you know, help me fix this. Or yeah. if you are Microsoft or IBM or Apple or whoever, and some shit starts going wrong, you got to be able to call somebody. I mean, you can't oh, be sitting sure. there like all of us have and, and paid you know, ETH for a failed transaction on Uniswap. You have just to sit there and just beat your head on the wall because you just lost $100 for nothing. Well, that's not an acceptable answer to Microsoft or to the Federal Reserve. You're 100% correct. And that's why the network is kind of partitioned like this. Um, the, those mission critical, like th that's basically like something of national security importance. Now, that's right. Yeah, so that that would be run just in a very similar way as you know fintech is run for such large entities today, um, with contracts and I think SLAs, right? Service like agreements, right? Service level agreements. Yeah, so those these these would be handled by Quant, the corporation. But this is kind of getting into also like like the difference and you know the validity between a a a, a typical corporate entity. Which is run by stock and equity, and then uh, something which is uh, kind of possible through DLT, which is something more akin to a DAO, um, and that's where and Gilbert I think sees this and understands this, and he's he I think he's a little bit greedy in that he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to you know provide this high level services and also like kind of eat into this like scrumptious new pie that's just come out of the oven that is like a DAO. Um, <laughs> and and yeah. it's it's hard to do both at the same time, which is why, you know, we're so frustrated at like, oh, why aren't why aren't the partnerships being announced? Why aren't the why can't we stake our Q and T? Where's the remote connector gateways? And right. you know, it's all it's all coming in time. It's just a matter of like, you know Well he even he even wrote that message recently about sort of to the community that basically said leave us alone and let us build. Yeah. And and that may have offended some people, but it didn't offend me at all. I mean, given their business model, you know, I understand why they're approaching it that way. And he's, they're not being a typical crypto company trying to pander to the community. 
Uh, and so they're, they're, I understand that approach. I also understand being a business person myself. I've signed a hundred CAs in my career. And in his case, there's, there's very compelling reasons why you would have them. So the critics are all saying it's not real because you're hide, hiding behind the CA. Well, any critic that says that is clearly not a business person and hasn't been around for very long because if you understood the, the, the sort of mission critical nature of what it is they're trying to do, a CA is extremely necessary. Um, and even after, and this has also stymied me in my research when I sort of came to this realization, but even when, you know, let, let, let's say they sign the CA and then a year later, the business uh, relationship comes to fruition. They sign a license, they figure out how to work together and, and they go off and do it. Well, that company is still not likely to announce its tech stack. That's mm-hmm. generally not what people do. They don't, and companies don't say, this is how we make the sausage. <laughs> and so I believe that in a significant number of cases, if this works like Quant wants it to, you're going to have Quant there, but you're not going to know it. Yeah. You know, if, yeah, we're, def- we're definitely that seeing company that. That is built on Quant, you're not going to know it just like we don't know what runs our iPhones or our computers or our office phones. We just don't know. I think you nailed it, Chip. It's basically a secret white labeling to ensure that the competitors don't jump on board soon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Stockhead, it's really hard to hear you, man. Um, well, I, I uh, thank you guys for uh, listening and, and Greg and Ghost for answering my questions there. I, I soaked up more of the Q&A time than I, than I should have, but uh, I feel passionate about this one. I've spent more time on it and have more invested in it than I ever have in 35 years in anything else. So uh, for, for, for what that's worth, there, there you go. It's a, it was a pleasure to speak with you, Chip. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all like for your time. You. Yeah, thanks for the question, Chip. Do, do, uh, do this again. Yeah, absolutely. We still have so much to cover, so I'm sure uh, we'll do this uh, type of events in the future. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, thanks, Chip. Stockhead, do you have a question? I think he had some uh, difficulties. Can you hear us? Stockhead. Um, I'm not sure what's going on, but I can hear him. You know, something we didn't even touch on there is the evolution of uh, Q&T use cases. There's not much to say here because we don't know much yet, but Gilbert has discussed this. And I've got a little transcript I pulled here from a, a video interview in May. Uh, and basically, Gil outlines hundreds of use cases coming to the Q&T token and how the use cases have evolved. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not just licenses and, and transaction volume. Um, we're talking about uh, so I'll, I'll just read here, and this will evolve. We want to make Q&T the currency and payment option for all of the data and transactions that are on the network so people can trade in Q&T. It can be used for hundreds and hundreds of use cases around AI data. If you want to make an MDAP, make an AWS equivalent on the OVN. All, this is, all of this is possible. Q&T is the pure utility token that can be used for everything. Uh, and again, this is transcribed from the LCX uh, interview in May. We haven't even touched upon NVIDIA, the partnership. Because there's so much going uh, on. Th- that's that's kind of more related to the Trudera entity, which was dealing with a- AI yeah. before. Um, that 
Yeah, but it's upgraded to Quant now. It, that's actually a good point, Jeff. If you guys could help elaborate on NVIDIA partnership. I've been following NVIDIA as a company for quite some time. I've been I an, think we an should, investor as well. should leave it for another time because uh, it's another big... AI is a, a big discussion point. So yeah, that's... Maybe we can take... That's it's something, Jeff, that I think is in the BIS complex too, which is again a whole different can of worms. Bob, yeah, correct. Yeah. Do we have any other questions from the community? Uh, I don't see any requests as of right now. So last call, guys. Uh, if you have any questions, just uh, send a request, and I'll be more than happy to bring you on stage. I had like seven of them like uh, fifteen minutes ago, and now all of a sudden, like all of them just dropped. Chip was taking too much time. <laughs> I think with the amount of content that we ha we haven't covered, and especially with the gravity of the content that we haven't covered, uh, and, and just also the desire to bring a greater understanding to the community and the ecosystem, I, I'd be I would love to do something like this again and be able to answer more questions and to take more time interacting. Yeah, absolutely, sounds good to me. And um, I still don't have any requests as of right now, so I think. Uh, we can go ahead and uh, wrap it up for today. It's been uh, two and a half hours. I think we shared a lot of information. We definitely give plenty of information for new or seasoned investors when it comes to quant network. Either they want to start digging deeper or just kind of give them information on something that they didn't know before. I think you guys did a great job. So thank you so much for all the listeners. Uh, I think at some point we hit close to 300 listeners. So there was uh, great participation and great engagement for uh, something that is not really highly discussed on Twitter, at least not on my uh, newsfeed. It's, uh, like I said before, I've been a part of uh, FinTweet community and never seen this ticker or company mentioned before. So I was pretty happy with this participation. And if all the speakers are cool with this idea to come up with an agenda and host like a part two and cover all the remaining topics, I will be more than happy to host this as well. We can work on this. And just for the listeners, if you guys don't follow these guys, I would highly suggest you do this because they all share great information and contribute to this amazing community on Twitter or on Telegram. There are multiple channels on Telegram that I personally follow, and they're great resources. So I would highly suggest you guys do the same. So yeah, if you guys have any other closing r remarks, uh, stage is yours. Uh, what you already discussed, if people have questions, just uh, hit us up on Twitter or Telegram, and uh, we'll see you if we can help you. In the future, I think uh, I just want to shout out to my my boy Luke, Crypto Luke or Crypto Coit. Uh, we've made so many videos about quant, and it's so educational. Um, and we're probably going to get back into it shortly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, his YouTube is a great resource for many things quant, many many things, uh, FA related, uh, tokenomically, um, even TA. If you're interested in that, um, but yes, it's an absolute pleasure to be on this call with y'all. Um, and, uh, I mean, good goodness, everyone here contributed so much. Like, um, I, I, yeah, I'm just, it's an honor. So until next time. Thank you everyone for the opportunity to be here. Uh, it was 
absolutely incredible taking the time to talk about something that is on my mind every waking moment of every day. Uh, it's It's been a pretty incredible journey over the last few years getting into crypto and getting involved with this community. And I can confidently say if, if anybody here wants to learn more about QNT, the, the quant community is amazingly open and welcoming toward people of all different types and, and all different backgrounds. I got into this space almost two years ago with zero background um, in legacy programming or in tech and, and zero background, obviously, in blockchain. And, and everything that I've learned and, and grown has really been through the community around us. So I'm so grateful to be able to be a part of this and to be able to contribute and, and to give back and, and to help. So thank you for having me here. And I look forward to uh, any future talks. Yep, just want to echo that uh, as far as the community goes. Um, I mean, it's it's so informational. It's so interesting. I love the speculative part of it, to be honest. Like there is a, because of the white label nature and we've talked about this, like it really, it's like a little treasure hunt um, that continually pays off. And, uh, you know, you find these little nuggets and you read people's opinions and things keep happening. And it's really exciting. I think we're on the brink of uh, something really cool here. So yeah, thanks again, Max, for opening this conversation up to your community. Uh, Hungarian, Jeff, Ghost, pleasure. And uh, yeah, look forward to round two. Yeah, thank you, guys. And for all the listeners that didn't have a chance to catch two and a half hours of this uh, quant marathon, uh, I will be releasing a recording soon and uh, either uh, post it on my uh, Spotify channel and post the link. So stay tuned for this. Thank you, guys. Thanks, and yeah, have a great night. Talk uh, to yes. Guys. Also, uh, stay quant for y'all. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Bye -bye. See ya. Perfect. Bye -bye. See night. you guys. Good night.